Amen. All right, kids, you're dismissed. Thanks for joining us in worship. We love having you. And a few teachers going with kids would be a good thing. Thank you. Well, we have a couple of announcements. I want you to just pull out your bulletin if you got one, hopefully on your way in. And um, we just want to draw your attention to a couple of things. One is that this next Saturday, uh, June 28th, uh, we have a beach day. Is Lou Toller here? I didn't see her this morning yet. Okay, Lou's putting this thing on. Um, our women's ministry, we have a women's uh, community group that meets on Monday nights, and they just um, kind of dreamt up a couple of events for us this summer. Uh, one of the things you'll notice about Neighborhood Bible Church, if you're new here or if you haven't heard it talked about from the front, is just that we have quite intentionally um, not programmed your life you know, into a seven-day-a-week uh, church function kind of a thing. Um, and that's not because programs aren't good, because what happens is, uh, we see a need, and a lot of you have come up and just said, man, we have a need for this. We should be doing this. We should be doing that. Uh, but one of the things that we've tried to really do here, um, in an effort to say that we really firmly hold to the fact that God has designed the family as the best greenhouse for spiritual growth, is to not divide the family up by having you know, the whole family go in different directions all the time. Um, we've, we've really focused on community groups. We've really focused on being together uh, in worship uh, you know, every single week having the kids in here with us, once a month keeping them in, in here the whole time. But when we do have events, uh, what happens is we don't have a, a weekly youth group that kids go off to. We don't have a weekly event for this, that, or the other thing. But when we do program them, what we want to do is just say, this is an on-ramp to community. This is an on-ramp to getting more plugged into the church. This is an on-ramp for your neighbors uh, who, who need to know about Jesus, who need to have their lives transformed, um, to be able to come to something like a beach day. And next Saturday, uh, just wide open, not super structured or programmed, but we're going to be down at the beach. Um, Seacliff State Beach is, is down there, and there's um, showers and bathrooms for those of you who don't like to rough it at the beach. Um, and it'll just be a good time of just being down there. My family has a swim meet in the morning, and then we're going to head straight over there, um, and just bake all day, really. And that's just our plan for next Saturday. So it's a good time to just be together and not look at the back of someone's head like we do sometimes at church, week in and week out, uh, and just be together. So don't think of this just as for you, whether you should go, but think about those around you in your neighborhood, on the job, um, just in family and that sort of thing. The second thing I want to draw your attention to is an event we're calling Celebrate Freedom. And two weeks from this morning, we will be celebrating church. We will be worshiping God um, in in uh, a way that Americans tend to not do so good, but we read about this in the scriptures, and that is that the Israelites, God's people, regularly had feasts together, and that was part of their worship. That was part of their celebration of who God was and is. And so on July 6th, if you come in at 1030 and take your seat in your regular spot, you will be all alone. Because we won't be inside. Instead, we'll be through this back wall, um, on the back lawn area, and we're just having a huge uh, brunch potluck. And we're just going to be together outside. Um, we'll probably have some element of a service, like some worship and all that, but we want to just break out and say that this isn't church. You're not, you're not coming to church like it's an event once a week. We are the church. And as an expression of that, we're just going to go do that. I'll tell you something I don't ever get to do. 
Um, and I know some of you don't get to do this too. That is to hold the precious kids who are here on a regular basis. We have more than 50 kids who show up at this church. Now, a lot of them are apparently on vacation this week. We're a little sparse this morning. That's okay. But I never get to hold the little babies who are, who are in there. Uh, the nursery workers do and the children's people get to, get to minister to them. But it's just going to be a fun time for us to get to know people. I challenged my kids today. I said, hey, at, at greeting time, don't greet people you know. Your challenge is you have to meet at least one person brand new and you have to tell me their name afterwards. We ought to just have that mentality. I'm always amazed when I talk to someone like Gonzalo, and I know Gonzalo and Lisa well. They come here every week, and I might talk to someone else who comes every week. And I'm like, you guys don't know each other? I'm like, we're a tiny church. You guys have to know each other. This is how we do it. We eat, okay? So we're just going to go brunch and fellowship and get to know each other, get to get to um, just kind of bond closer. So that's coming up in two weeks. In the back, uh, John, raise your hand really quick. See where John's sitting back there? John is guardian of the clipboards. Um, you just bring a main dish. Sign up for a main dish or a side dish or a drink of some sort. Brunch-type food. And uh, if you need to buy it at Safeway on the way over, that's totally cool. Tear the label off. Put it on your own plate. It's, it just looks great. So, um, anyways, that's in two weeks. Love to have you guys join us and, uh, and all of that. We're going we're gonna to be shifting gears. We've been in a series that, um, that we've been calling Christ Center of It All. And uh, prayerfully, you know, we're, as we went through the book of Colossians, uh, we really believe the Bible to be, to be God-breathed, inspired uh, word of God for us. And that all of Scripture, uh, all of the Old Testament, all of the New Testament, all of the words of Jesus, even the ones that are really hard to understand and, and hard to buy in our cultural setting that we live in, are profitable and are, and, are, and are there for us to, to build up our faith and to train us. And that when God says that he's provided all that we need for life and godliness, we believe that, that not, not just the Bible, because we also have the Spirit and we have each other, the church, but that the Bible is a, is a key path to, to discovering what God wants us to do and what God wants us to be. And um, as we've talked about putting Christ in the very center of every aspect of our life, We've, 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 we've talked about thoughts. We've talked about our midweek. We've talked about our jobs. We've talked about what it is to put on these different virtues and take off vices and leave those at the door and what it means to be a new creation in Christ. And so on the heels of that, on the heels of putting Christ in the center, um, we wanted to, to, to talk about, uh, well, let me, let me read this verse. This was kind of a, this might be kind of a summation verse. Of Colossians. This was found in Colossians 3.17. Just listen to this. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Several weeks back, we said that was a rule of thumb. Just if you can remember one thing from the book of Colossians, it's that. Whatever you do, whether it's something you say or something that you do, do everything such that Jesus would put his name on it. And you go, well, that, that's really, really hard. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it is. And that's why we need God in this. It has to be a work of God. Do you see how that removes anyone in this room being kind of good enough to be a Christian, to be a God follower? We have to be a new creature in Christ. And that's the whole message of Colossians. But when we talk about putting Christ in the center of things, here's a natural question that would come up. And that is this, our title slide. That is this. Uh, what, what would Jesus do? You know, there was that, that little campaign that went along, like, you know, on the wrist, and it was the, the idea was just in every situation, ask, what would Jesus do? That's a great question to ask. 
But a little bit of a different question is, well, what, what would Jesus do? And that's when you go, well, you have to know that. How do you, how do you know that? And so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to launch into the Gospel of John. And uh, if you're new to reading the Bible, if you're new to church, you go to the New Testament, which is the second, kind of the last third of the Bible, and you just got Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the fourth Gospel. And all four of these uh, accounts are about the life of Jesus Christ. And as you read through all four Gospels, you'll see different nuances and whatnot. And what we're going to do for the next several months is dive into the Gospel of John and read through the life of Christ. So that when you're in a situation and you go, I'm supposed to, no matter what I do or say, it's supposed to be able to have Christ's name on it. Well, dads, how do you know what behavior Christ would say, yes, thumbs up on that. I put my name on that. Moms, how do you know that? Siblings, how do you know how to treat family in such a way that God would say, absolutely yes, I put my stamp on that. Employers, employees, students, how do you know? And that's the question we're going we're gonna to dive into. Well, if you, if you want to get to know me, if I want to get to know you, we spend time together, right? We can't possibly do it in this setting because I'm kind of talking at you and you're sitting there looking at me. That's not a good way to necessarily get to know someone. But you get to know someone by spending time together, by hanging with people. And so you think, well, Jesus, how do I hang with Jesus? That sounds kind of like a cool slogan, but what does that even mean? I mean, is that... You know, it's just super spiritual talk for going to church, or what does that mean to hang with Jesus? How do I get to know Jesus? And here's two things I want to just offer to you. One is this. Romans 8, 9. Just listen to this passage. I'm going to put it up on the screen. But if you're a new creature in Christ, if you've placed your faith in Christ, you now have the Spirit of Christ living in you. And Jesus, before He went away, physically, from physically hanging out with a group of guys and people on earth at a very specific time and place. He says, I'm going away, but I'm going to send to you my spirit so that I'll always be with you. In fact, it'll actually even be better than here because when Jesus walked the earth, just like you and I, he was limited to one place and one, one time. You can't be in two places at once, and that's how Jesus was. Listen to this verse from Romans 8, 9. You, however, are not controlled by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. Christ in you, the hope of glory, is what Colossians says. And so one way to get to know Christ is to, is to claim and rest on the promise. It's like, Christ, you're in me right now. So would you reveal yourself to me in this situation? I was at a park two days ago, three days ago. My wife and kids met me here at work. We went and grabbed some lunch, went to Palmore Park. And we're down there. And um, there's, there's a couple of guys that pulled up. They were wearing suits. It was about 95 degrees out. Uh, they were wearing ties, they were riding bicycles, they came and they locked their bikes up at the park. So I immediately began to just pray. I said, God, let me know what you want to do here. If you want me to talk to these guys or, or what. And I'm just there with my family, just hanging out at the park. So they came walking up to me. I think they thought that we were Mormons, actually, because we have five kids. And so they, we get that. I'm, I'm not kidding. We get the tap on the shoulder, LDS. I'm like, no, I'm trying to quit. You know, and they, they said, no, Latter-day Saints. I say, oh, no, we just... We love kids and believe that God loves them too. And, you know, 
God opened a door for me to just share with him a little bit. Now, mind you, I had been in John 1, and, and your homework, by the way, this morning is uh, uh, for this week as a family, read through John chapter 1, verses 1 to 18, at least two times this week. Just before you sit down and eat your meal, just read John 1, 1 to 18 this week, just a couple of times. A, that passage will blow your mind. It's kind of a prologue for the entire book of John. But in that passage, it talks about the deity of Christ. We've been talking about how Christ is the only thing sufficient. Anything added to Christ works or other gods or other prophets or other messiahs or other saviors is is false. And the Bible's crystal clear on that. And we even read a passage here that speaks to the, the triune nature of God. It's one God in three distinct persons. Father, Son, and Spirit. And so I just shared with these two gentlemen. I said, guys, um, I said, we're a family that believes in one true God who's expressed in a, in a triune you know, personhood of Father, Son, and Spirit. And they started to say, well, well we do too. And I said, and I also hold to the fact that the Bible is the only inspired word of God and that God will rebuke, as the Bible says, anyone who adds or takes away from that book as our, as our, as our revelation. And at that point, the, the conversation took a little bit of an awkward turn and, um, and we chatted a little bit more, but, but we went our separate ways. But in that moment, you know what I knew I had? I knew I had the spirit of Christ in me. And so I was able to just say, God, what do you want me to do here? And there's times that I pass people who are in need, and, and I just pray. I go, God, I'm either going to be late to this appointment or I'm going to help this person. What do you want me to do? In that moment, just pray. That's what keeping in step with the Spirit means. Then you know what? When I find myself yelling at my kids, I get grieved in my own spirit, and I know I'm grieving the Spirit of God, and I go, you know what? This is not how God wants me to manage this situation. I am not doing good right here. So I put myself on a timeout, and I just go, okay, chill out. God, how do you want me to rectify this now? And that's what it is. And I make a billion mistakes every single week, and you do too. And that's the joy of coming together and being open with our faults and just saying, kids, guess what? Daddy wasn't walking in the Spirit a second ago. That's not how I should have been acting. Will you forgive me? Now can we move on? You guys have the Spirit of Christ in you if you belong to Christ. And so every moment you could just stop and ask the Spirit. That's how you get to know Jesus. Here's the second thing is the study of his life. You begin to just study the word of God and you ought to often come back and have a steady diet of the Gospels. I don't care where you're reading or what program you're reading on. And I think it's great to have Bible in a year programs. I think it's great to dive into one of the epistles. I think it's awesome to do end time study and revelation or Old Testament history or this or that. But you know what? You ought to come back to the Gospels often. Because what would Jesus do is a great question for your everyday life in a moment-by-moment situation. And the way that you know that is you just get to hang around Jesus by reading about him, by really looking how did he interact with people, who did he interact with, who did he not interact with, what did he say, what did he not say. Our purpose in submitting ourselves to the spiritual discipline of study, by the way, we're going to study this book. We're going to dive in and study this book. If you've been here for any length of time, you know that we don't just usually have three points on how to pat yourself on the back and three points of how to feel better about your, you know, failing business career or, you know, whatever else or dig deep and pull yourself up by the bootstraps. We just don't believe in that. We don't think that's what God wants us to be as a church. 
And so what we will do is we will dive into the Gospel of John. And that terrifies me in some ways, because guess what? When you really study the Gospel of John, there are some very difficult things in here that I have no idea. I'll just, I'll just assign that week out to someone else to teach on it, I guess. But, but, but there's some difficult things in here, and we're going to cross those bridges together. And we're going to say, what did Jesus mean by that? Jesus, you putting that one, I mean, if people only knew their Bible, they would pin us to the wall a bit easier. What did Jesus mean when he said that? I wish you wouldn't bring that passage up, because I really don't know. That's a hard one. If you were Thomas Edison, you'd just cut it right out. He just cut out parts of the Bible that he didn't like. Do you know that? That's, that's pretty audacious, I think. Sorry, God, you don't know what you're doing. We're going to go through the whole thing, the whole book of John. But we're not going to submit ourselves to the study of John uh, for, for the sake of religious duty. You know, there's just no religious freedom in saying, I've come to church and I'm studying John. All that might do is just heap guilt on you and heap burden on you, or, or maybe start to put little pins in your badge that say, well, I've been through the book of Colossians, and now we've gone through the book of John. Well, whoop-de-doo. The whole point of doing that is total transformation. That's what we're looking for when we do this. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. We are transformed when we look at God's Word. We will meditate. We will imitate what we see. When we see Jesus do something, I am asking you to pray for the power on the spot to imitate that in your life this week. When Jesus does something and you go, God, help me contextualize that from Near East Palestine some 2,000 years ago to my next week and these business appointments that I have. Help me figure out what that looks like here in my family practices. Help me figure out how that looks in my entertainment choices and in my mind. And, and just help me do that so I can imitate you, so I can be like Jesus. Ben Palm has a, has a CD out. And, and ironically, Ben is the guy that stands right here and plays guitar. And he's six foot nine. I love hanging out with Ben because everyone goes, and they always ask, how tall are you? You know, and usually before they ask, Ben just says six nine because he knows it's coming. Ben has a CD out. The CD title is called A Little You. What it's talking about is the idea of a Christian. A Christian is just one who is just like Christ. It's a disciple. It's like you're so much in step that it's like you just, you would dress the same, you would act the same, you'd speak the same, you'd go to the same places. And that's really our goal as disciples is to be a little Christ. And to think about, what if, what if the only Christ is, is in your cubicle? You've probably heard that before. And you're like, well, what does that mean, though? How does that look? And that's what hopefully the Gospel of John and looking at it is going to do for us. We're going to pay attention. It's going to cost us something. We're going to give careful study to this. And there's so much here that each week all I hope to do is whet your appetite a little bit and so that you'll dig a little bit deeper. And that the Spirit of Christ in you would convict you where, where you need to be convicted. Would encourage you where you need to be encouraged. Keep going. Keep at it. We have some of our members right now in New Orleans. And I've been praying for them. I didn't get a chance to talk to Ron this morning, but they got off yesterday. Anytime you feel hot in the next week, Think about our team in New Orleans. You're not hot. You're just warm. I feel warm right now, but we're not hot. They're hot. But you know what? We're praying for them. You know why they went? Because they love Jesus. 
I'm convinced they went because they thought Jesus would go and help people who were down and out and who need to have his love experienced. It's possible to go through a major crisis and not really have the perception to step back and understand what's going on. You ever go through that? This happens a lot in relationships. I work with a lot of college students. And there's certain people who get into a pattern around junior high or high school of dating someone, breaking up, dating someone, breaking up, dating someone, breaking up. You know what the adult version of that is the same? Dating someone and breaking up. And sometimes it takes a friend to come along and say, can I help you just see that it's, it's, it's you in this a little bit? Don't just keep doing the same thing over and over. Let's step back and perceive. And as we go through the book of John, we, we don't want to just read it. We want to perceive it. It hit me this way. It's, it's possible for us to do the right things in this study. We could attend faithfully and hit every single message on the book of John, however long it's going to take us. We could fill out every single blank that people from up front give us. We could even spell it correctly. We could take bonus notes. We could memorize. We could read the whole book several times. And isn't it possible to completely miss what God would have for us in that? Do you see how going back to the spirit of Christ in us and why we're doing this in the first place is is critical? Look at this for me. Inspection without introspection, all it leads to is, is, is for you possessing data. Okay? You could have all kinds of trivia about John in a few months. You could come here and receive a bunch of, a bunch of, of, in, of information. But here's kind of a, a second way of looking for it, uh, looking at it, is that inspection, the study of scripture with introspection, which all that means is reflection, thinking about it, meditating on it. That's where it leads to, to transformation for us. The way that might look is this. I love talking to some of you and hearing how you're leading your families because I'm getting ideas on how to manage my family and grow my family, my own spiritual walk. It helps me to debrief with someone about what I heard at church. It helps me to read a book in community where I don't just read it and highlight what does good for me, but I read it, highlight it, then I get together with a group of people who are like-minded and we discuss it. That's what's happening every Friday. It's open to any guy who wants to be there at 7.30 in a room right over here. There's a group of, group of us guys going through the spiritual disciplines. We read a chapter, we highlight, we get together, we talk about it, and we put it into practice in our life. It's the idea of meditation or reflection, not just taking in more, more, more and letting it just kind of flow out the back door. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. It's possible to be deceived. He goes on to say, The man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, that's what we want to do. We want to look intently into it. We don't want to just kind of gloss over it and pick out a couple of cute points. And continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it will be blessed in what he does. So it says, if you look intently at God's perfect law that gives freedom, and you don't forget what it, what it says, but instead you do it, you'll be blessed in what you do. So part of the challenge to us is, well, how do I, how do I not forget? How do I retain this stuff? And if you're like me, you hear a great point in a, in a podcast. You see a great point in a book. You read a passage, you go, man, I'll never forget that. I better underline it so I don't, but I'll never forget it. And two weeks later, you go, hey, what was church about two weeks ago? Hmm. I don't know. 
You just spent some time at a conference one month ago. What did you really glean from it? I'm not sure. But we had workshops for eight hours a day. Some good points. And so I'm in that same boat. I just go, Lord, I want to internalize this. I want to do this. I want to put this into practice. Part of your notes, you know what? I wouldn't care one bit. We have no fill in the blanks this morning. I wouldn't care one bit, though, if you got every fill in the blank. That's just, that's just, uh, there's, there's a lot of thought that goes into that, mind you. But what I'd rather do is if, is if I'm talking about something up here and God is convicting you right now about how you've treated your neighbor this week, not your spiritual metaphorical neighbor, your next door neighbor, the one above you that plays the music too loud, or the one below you, or next door on this side, or next door on this side, and you know there's restoration that needs to happen, that you need to initiate, and you're trying to la 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 not hear the voice of God. We all do that. I'd much rather you write down, I get it, Lord, make things right with my neighbor this week. I'd love that. That's the way God convicts me in church sometimes. Something said that leads to a specific action point. And then you just go do it. And you watch God transform and bless your life as you just submit to what he's telling you to do by his spirit. And that's what we want to do. All right, decent exposure. Um, I've, I've, I've given this overarching series to the Gospel of John, the title Decent Exposure, for a couple of reasons. One is this, as in not indecent exposure. Indecent exposure is not only illegal, but it's just... It's, it's exposing yourself to things that aren't good. And this is decent, meaning this, honest, upright, straight, it's good. We are going to expose ourselves to the life of Christ on purpose. We're going to do it with an end goal in mind. Uh, one of the things that I came across this week, this is from our spiritual disciplines class, on the discipline of study. Why would you study? Why would you put that? I went to school to study. I'm done with that. I don't have to do it anymore. Here's what he says. This grabbed me. What we study determines the kinds of habits that are formed. Think about that. Even if you're not formally studying something, if all you study is a look in a magazine, that's where your brain is engaged in. And just like water poured in the same channel, same channel, same channel, we're, we're going to uh, Yosemite in a couple of weeks, and we watch what water does when it just gets poured in the same direction. It can just cut through rock. Our brains kind of function that same way. Some people their whole life have been so bitter and mad at dad that that has defined who they are. And to take that hate away would almost be to rip their identity right out of them because they formulated their whole life almost on that one thing. And that's so heartbreaking. God wants to just completely heal that. But what if our, what if our thing is our hobby or our sports team? What if, what if that one thing that we're focused on and that we're studying has everything to do with career and advancement? I mean, you name it. If it's not God, it becomes a God. And what we study determines the kinds of habits that are in our life. So if we study the life of Christ, if we subject ourselves, even when we don't want to, even when it's hard, we just go, I want to I be like you, God, and I understand that to do that I need to look at Jesus. Philippians 4.8 is a familiar passage to some of you, but let me read it. Finally, brothers... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. There's the command. Think about such things. That's it. If it has that list of things on it, think about it. 
And I thought about this. Is there another place or person that that is more succinctly wrapped up in than the person of Jesus Christ? Studying the life of Christ is a worthwhile thing because of that. Regular exposure to good produces good. Psalm 118 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. What happens is that the words of Jesus, everything in red that he says in your, in your New Testament, what if those began to be your words to people? What if his worldview was adopted by you because you were so ingrained in what he talks about and thinks about and acts like? All right, decent exposure, as in decent, meaning not fool or comprehensive. You will see, as we read the Bible, as we read the Gospel of John, you will see this quite, uh, quite quickly, that this pattern of Jesus not laying it out in front of you for the next ten years, every last little step of how to get there, started long before you met Him. I know some of you met Jesus and thought, well, good, now my life plan will be revealed to me. Jesus never, for me, has laid it out one plus one equals two, like a math formula. He's been in this relationship dance, and he beckons, and he says, come follow me. Hey, I'm going across the lake. Come follow me. The disciples say, okay. And so they follow him, and then a storm happens, and then he calms the storm. He didn't say, by the way, just to prep you all, a massive storm's going to come. You're going to be completely freaked out, but it's cool because I'm God. It'll be all good. Everyone ready to go? That's what we want him to do. But does he do that in your life? He doesn't do that in my life. He says, take a step. And I go, okay, take a step. Okay, where are we going? Take a step. You didn't answer my question. In fact, you're, you're, you're answering my questions with questions. That's what Jesus does. And he's in this relationship dance. I really believe that as, as you go through the gospel and as you look intently at how Jesus revealed himself, there will be times, we know the end of the story, where it's like, Jesus, this was your perfect opportunity to just say, look, I'm God. Put this guy in his place, please. But he doesn't do it. A common word or a little phrase that you'll see, because his time had not yet come. Because his time had not yet come. You'll see that just woven through the gospel. It's decent exposure. It's not complete full disclosure. Chapter 1, verse 1, Jesus is God. He's going to win in the end. He dies on a cross. He rises three days later. That's not how the story goes. That's not how Jesus chose to reveal himself. Here's what you can take heart in, though. Matthew 7, Jesus said these words, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. A favorite saying of his was, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. He who has eyes to see, let him see. And what he's saying is this. He's saying that it's not a math formula. It's not just something that every single person can look in the sky and say, one plus one does equal two. Now you just reject it or not. He would do and say things, and there would be people in close proximity that would perceive what's happening, and those in very close proximity that wouldn't perceive what's happening. There would be those right next to him who would not receive healing, and those right near him that would just touch the edge of his robe and be totally transformed. I think there's people in our churches, there's people in our churches every single Sunday who are in close proximity to God. They're, they're right there, but maybe not having ears to hear or eyes to see, they miss the spiritual life. God, give us eyes to see what perfect vision. Some of you have 20-20 vision. 
Give us eyes to see what that kind of vision can't do. Give us ears to hear the shepherd's voice that we know and then follow. Give us hearts to perceive what's going on. Faith is a prerequisite as you study Christ. I want everyone in your Bibles to to turn to John 20. This may be a record. This may be the latest in a message I've ever had someone turn to a, a, a Bible verse. We are a Bible teaching church, so we like to open our Bibles here. And I want to just show you, because we're kind of giving an overview of John this morning, I want to show you right near the end of the book where John, the author, disciple of Jesus, in John chapter 20, verse 23, or verse 30, excuse me, lays out his purpose for why he's writing. Here's what he says. Perhaps more than any other author in the Bible, he he spells it out. It says, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. He says it right there. These are, I'm writing this for one single purpose so that you will believe. And the result of believing in Christ and His message, in His person, in His saving power, and in His presence in our life is total transformation of your life. And John just makes it really clear. Here's my agenda. Here's why I'm writing these things. There's tons of other things that I could have written about. Oh man, there's just stories I could go off about. But I've given you stories. He's going to give us seven major signs as we go through. John likes to call them signs, but really they're miracles. They're giant just signboards that say, this is the one. This is the promised Messiah that you've been waiting for. This is the Savior of the world. And he's going to roll those out for us. All right, decent exposure. Let's look at the word exposure for a second. Exposure could mean this, revelation or telling or speaking. And it's, it's decent exposure because... It's not us speculating about God. When God speaks, it's revelation. When man guesses, it's speculation. The only way that you and I can know who God is is if God reveals Himself to us. He's so far and mighty. We saw some images with with that song, God of Wonders, that, that should just blow our minds. I was thinking about the song, Twinkle, Twinkle, Little Star, How I Wonder What You Are. As you begin to study astronomy and go further and further out from the from the place we call home, it's astounding how much is out there. And you just go, well, what's it all doing out there? I mean, are you kidding me? Like millions of light years? I can't can't even wrap my brain around that. You know what it's doing? It's just glorifying God. That's what it's doing. And God is so much above us that if he didn't choose to reveal himself to us, we would be left to guess. If all you ever knew from me is this morning, First time you met me and you never saw me again. And you say, well, what's Dave's favorite kind of food? Uh, I don't know. Sauerkraut? You know, I, you would just guess. You'd have no idea because I'm not talking about that today. What does Dave like to do? No, no idea. What are Dave's faults? I don't know. We would just be left to guess. And instead, this is God revealing himself to, the, to us. Look at this verse in Hebrews 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various kinds of ways. That's Genesis. That's that's the Old Testament, basically. 
God used prophets. God gave visions to people. God chose the people to himself, and he led and he guided them and he spoke to them. Sometimes hundreds of years in between. But catch this, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. His son is Jesus Christ, and that's why we're going to look at the Gospel of John. This is God revealing himself to us in the person and work of Jesus. He goes on to say in verse 3, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. God not only spoke in the past, but God is still speaking. God spoke in the past in a variety of ways. He revealed himself in certain ways. But then he decides to invade human history, send his son, and live among us. So realize when you're seeing Jesus and the heart of Jesus, you're getting to know the heart of God. When you mimic the actions of Jesus, you're mimicking how God would act in a human body. And that's why we're going to study it. Exposure to light. Think about this for a moment with me. If you think about, um, where is it? If you think about this, now I'm not, most of us, most of us are kind of wannabe photographers now. But uh, this is something that is called film. And much like, uh, actual, much like actual handwriting that we don't do anymore, uh, back in the day, uh, you would take this, right, and you would load it into your camera, and, you know, it got really fancy when you closed it, and it auto-loaded it for you. Did that little thing. Then you take your pictures. You never send it through the x-ray machine at the airport, because that would wipe out your vacation. You'd take it down, the little canister. It'd get developed. You pay for, you know, 80% bad shots, 20% good ones. But you get to keep them all. What a bargain. And you would certainly not want to mid-roll open this up and expose it to light. Right? It would ruin it. I began to think about this, that exposure to light, even as we go through the Gospels, as you read the Bible, you realize this, that exposure to light sometimes has one of two reactions. I think that as we read through the Gospel of John, you will recognize yourself in people that were exposed to the light, Jesus came up and he was right there. There's this, one, there's this one story, it's not in John, but there's this one story where Jesus comes and he heals this person. It's dramatic. He takes these demons out of a person, puts them in a bunch of pigs, and the pigs, pigs go and die, and the man's free. It's a miracle. The whole town knew it was a miracle. Here's what the whole town said, though. They come out to Jesus, and it says this. They begged him to leave their region. God was right there in their midst, healing. I mean, he was the total transforming healing they needed. And it says they begged him to leave. I think as we go through John, you will find people come in exposure to the light, in exposure to Jesus. And because they love darkness, they're going to shy away from it. It's clicking on the light when your roommate wants to sleep and you just, what do you want to do? You just want to put the covers back over your head. There are mornings I love darkness and I just want to put the covers back over our head. But spiritually when we do that, we recoil from light. We get angry at the light. We judge the light. We hurl insults at the light. Eventually we kill the light. That's the story of John for some people. And you'll probably see some of yourself in those reactions. I will see myself, you will see yourself in this longing to believe, but a lack of faith. I want to believe God, but I don't have the faith to do it. I think you'll identify with those who saw the signs that Jesus gave, but wondered what they meant. I think there's something to this church thing. I think there's something to the Bible, but I'm not sure what it all means for me. 
and how it looks in my life. I think we'll recognize the fear in those who denied Jesus. Those who walked with him and were so close to him, invested so much in him, but then at the drop of a hat, just denied him. Chucked it all and walked away. That's the story of Peter. Peter was restored, though. and We're going to read that near the end of the book. And Peter later on went on to die for Christ. And I would pray for that kind of strength and that kind of transformation to go on and happen with me. I want to close with a verse. I want to just invite you to close your eyes right now. And I'm going to invite you to pray. We're going to close with a a couple of songs this morning. And I want to just invite you personally to pray and ask God that you would be cooperative with this study of the Gospel of John. If it's unclear to you as to why we're even studying the life of Jesus, ask God. God, make it clear to me. Help me in this. That seems like a long book. I don't know if I want to read it. God, would you just open my eyes to it so that I wouldn't just get to notch up another book that I've read through, but that I could really get it. As the band makes their way up, just listen to this verse. We're going to look at the life of Jesus because Jesus is close. He's near. And that Jesus doesn't disappoint. Just listen to Romans 10.8. Salvation that comes from trusting Christ, which is the message we preach, is already within easy reach. In fact, the Scriptures say the message is close at hand. It is on your lips and in your heart. For if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God and it is by confessing with your mouth that you are saved. As the Scriptures tell us, anyone who believes in Him will not be disappointed. Anyone who believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. Right now, take just a few moments. It's going to be silent in this room. Use this time to make where you're sitting a temple and just talk to God. Invite Him into this series that we're going to go through as a church. God, we want to take you at your word that you not only spoke long ago, but you're still speaking this morning. God, give us hearts to hear, ears to hear what you would say to us. In Jesus' name, amen.